Hello and welcome. My guest today is Turner Novak. Turner is a venture capitalist and he is the creator of Banana Capital, a VC firm that invests globally across all sectors from pre-seed to pre-IPO. He became known on Twitter mainly through his legendary memes. And in this conversation, we spoke about the first time he actually went viral, what he's looking for in founders when he's investing in them, why crypto didn't make any sense to him, and why he was so interested in video games. Turner's a really fascinating character, and this conversation followed suit. I enjoyed getting to know Turner tremendously, and if you enjoyed getting to know Turner, please share this episode, share it on Twitter. That's where me and Turner probably check our mentions the most, but also Instagram, text message, group chats, they all go a long way in helping the show grow. So let's get right into the episode with Turner Novak. Well, what was your first viral moment? First viral moment. Um, what's the threshold of viral? Well, it could be anything, right? It could yeah. be when you have no followers, it could be like a thousand people are watching this or when you have no followers, it could be like a million. It, what what was it for you? Do you remember? Like yeah. the first moment, I think a good test of virality is like, you want to show it to somebody else, be, like your wife, like, no, do you see this? Like, this is crazy. Yeah. I think for me, it was, do you remember when Snapchat did the big redesign and Kylie Jenner came out and said, no one uses Snapchat anymore and the stock tanked? I remember that. Yeah. So, the, I mean, the common narrative was Snapchat's the next MySpace. It's going bankrupt. No one uses it anymore. That was the narrative. And it seemed like a good narrative, right? No one uses it. This big influencer saying nobody uses it anymore. I don't use it. Um, but if you actually looked at like the data, like the public stuff that they disclosed to the SEC, all the filings, it was pretty clear. It's about the same size user base as Instagram, and it has exactly the same business model as Facebook and Instagram. They just sell ads. And so when you just like kind of match all the numbers up, you're like, why is this? Co- why do people think somebody's going bankrupt? Like they're fine. They have the core product works really well and has really good margins. And it this doesn't make any sense to me. Like, why do people think no one uses it anymore? So I kind of, and then also they did this big redesign that changed the product around and added a bunch of new inventory, like ad inventory in different spots. And I just thought it was going to massively open up to the revenue that they were going to generate like five, 10 years in the future. So I did a thread just about the redesign and all, how I thought it was actually good. And uh, a guy named Alex Heath currently works for The for the Verge. Uh, I think at the time he was working at Business Insider and he like retweeted it and was like, this is pretty interesting. I don't know. I don't remember exactly how the thread did, but I didn't have anyone that followed me on Twitter at that point. It was like friends from high school that don't use Twitter anymore. So that was probably the very first time. And then slowly leveled up from there, just putting out more serious types of content. Uh, so that was probably the very first moment. I was like, wow, people actually care about what I have to say. It's kind of cool. How long ago is that? I think it was February of 2018. That would have been like five years ago. Wow. But I'd kind of started writing online a little bit. I'd done it in college. Uh, and then specifically on Twitter, probably like six, five and a half years ago. Well, in college, you you skipped class, right? For the Twitter IPO. How was that? Like, why'd you do that? Why were you so passionate about skipping class for that with your friends? Uh, we just thought it was fun. Like it was... It was a product that we knew we'd used and it was like a big deal. Like I think when you're in college, you build a lot of affinity for things and you kind of figure out who you are. And so for us, it was like my, my my friend, my roommate used to watch uh, Mad Money with Jim Cramer, like passionately. And a a lot of kids that I went to school with, we did, I'd major in accounting and finance. There's a lot of people, we were in the investment club, like Jim Cramer, this guy, guy's the shit like he's talking about all these stocks he's got these ceos on this guy's so cool obviously you know we were like 21 22 but we're like oh man like every every company you talk about like yeah yeah like like pfizer what like facebook twitter whatever he was talking about we were like get super into it and it was and we like watch cnbc 
pretty seriously and be like, man, it's like hedge fund managers coming on, duking it out. Like I remember, I think I watched it live. There was Bill Ackman, who maybe you've seen, and then a guy named Carl Icahn. They were, uh, Bill, there's this company called Herbalife, which it's a pyramid scheme. <laughs> it's, and Bill Ackman was shorting it and Carl Icahn was long. He came out and he's like, no, this is a great business. And they had like a 30 minute duel on CNBC just going after each other. And there was like some personal attacks too. Oh and it was just live on CNBC. And so like that kind of stuff used to happen a lot on CNBC. It doesn't really happen that much anymore. Cause it happens on Twitter instead. Now. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd, you'd kind of, we'd watch those and you just like build this thing. Like, man, this is so cool. Right. You're like a kid. You don't really know what's going on. And they're really like, man, investing stocks, finance, like wall street. Like I want to run a hedge fund one day. Like that, those are kind of all the feelings that you have when you're, you're in college and you're learning this thing. So yeah, I think it was like the Twitter IPO. It was supposed to happen pretty early during the day. I feel like that it was supposed to happen like right at nine 30 or 10 or something. And I had class at 11. So I was like, Oh cool. I'll watch it. And you know, it'll go live at 10 and then I'll go to class. And then just, it, it got pushed back like a couple like half an hour, another hour. And it was like one o'clock when it finally opened and happened. And it's basically just the investment banks are trying to find the price that it's going to list at that like there'll be support with people who didn't get into the IPO that are going to come in and like support the price and it's not going to tank for people selling it's kind of silly but it, it took a while so we're just like screw it we want to see this thing go live like we want to know what happens when it, when it goes live like does it go up does it go down so we just sat around watching CNBC for like four or five hours that day um, but yeah it was fun what do you think inside of you makes you so attracted to finance and stocks and investing in general yeah i think it's it's not specifically stocks in, in particular but i think that's kind of how i got into investing just because if you if you grow up in san francisco everything's tech if you grow up in la everything's culture entertainment if you're in new york it's maybe i don't know like media it's maybe finance in Grand Rapids, Michigan, where I grew up, there's just, it's not the same. So when I first learned what a stock was, it's like, man, these things go up. Like you can buy a stock and you make money from it going up. This is so cool. Like I, I, I like some people think about it. Like when you watch those like YouTube grifters or like, yeah, passive income buying stocks. Like it was never really quite like that, but I was like, man, you can like make money. And then the, the deeper I got into it, I was like, man, it's like, these are companies like you can actually, if you understand the company, like if you like example that we've all seen, like Silicon Valley Bank recently, if you understand how to like analyze these companies and you look at the balance sheet, there were people that were saying there were some real issues a couple months ago. It's like, man, I got to figure out how to do that. Like I got to understand how to learn what's making a change in the stock price or the valuation of the company. And then that's kind of where I got fascinated of, man, like I can, I can, you can actually make money as an investor by like just being early and understanding these things before other people or, and maybe you're not smarter, but you're just looking in the right places. And so I kind of went down this rabbit hole of, oh, there's like an IPO. Like you've probably seen those clickbait ads at the bottom of an article where it's like, if you bought Amazon at the IPO, here's how much money you'd make. Well, this guy's saying, this is the new stock you should, this is the next Amazon. So I kind of be like, man, I got to find the next Amazon. Like what are like the IPOs? And then I'd go further back and like, man, you can invest in them before they're in, before there's a stock like before it IPOs and then the further and further back you go I'd be like man there's this guy Bill Gurley who bought 20% of Uber for like a couple million dollars back like way when it was first getting started it's like man you can invest in potentially some of the biggest companies in the world when they're a startup that's pretty cool that's what the best investors are doing so I kind of went through this I kind of fell down this rabbit hole like man that's that's what I want to do. That that would be the most fun. You kind of grow up playing video games. You grow up playing Roller Coaster Tycoon, like these like business simulation games. You you kind of get fast and be like, man, I, like running a business that seems pretty cool. That's what I want to do when I grow up. And then it's kind of this intersection of like running a business, understanding the internet and technology, understanding investing. It's kind of like a video game because you're kind of treasure hunting. You're like always trying to find. Like, what's the next big thing? Like, it's, there's probably people a couple of years ago with like crypto, like the Web3, you can own part of a, a, a traditionally non-tradable asset. Like, that's the new trend. And so 
it's like finding some of those things, but then being right on them too. Like obviously maybe, maybe crypto, crypto was wrong. Maybe it was just too early, but like getting the timing right is also really important too with investing. So, um, it's just really hard. It's difficult to be good at. So I think that's also what kind of drew me to it was it just, you can never really master it. It's always ongoing and you're always kind of learning. Um, and I've definitely messed up a ton investing. I've made a lot of mistakes. So, um, I think that's what makes it, it's like a never ending learning, uh, environment where you're just constantly trying to get new information, learn from your mistakes, better optimize what you get right like figuring out how to size your positions or bets or like I've had a couple cases with on the venture side, I probably should have invested more or like followed on quicker to some of the companies that are really breaking out. Um, and then cases where I probably invested too much too early, didn't work out. Um, so you're just kind of always learning with some of those um, different cases. So you mentioned video games before, and I know you were the second best player in the world in gears of war. What? How does that relate to venture capital? Yeah. Uh, so I think it was, that was sort of the, one of the things I just kind of did for fun as a kid. So when we moved, moved to, to Michigan from Canada, uh, my parents separated a couple months after we, we never really had a lot of money. So, and I, I also, we, so my mom wanted us to go to a really good school so we could you know, be set up for success. And that's where initially we were, when we moved to Michigan, we were in the district. Um, but after they separated, we lived way out of the district, didn't have any friends close to me. My mom drove me to school every day. There was actually one year where she drove me, my middle younger brother and my youngest brother to three different schools. She was also going back to school, like getting her degree to stay in the US because she needed a visa. So insane, like honestly, probably one of the people I respect the most in the world. Um, and that was, that was what we did for fun. Me and my brothers, like we, we played video games because there wasn't much else to do and we didn't have a lot of money. And the, the business model of the gaming companies back then was you sell one disc for 50 bucks or 60 bucks and it lasts forever. Now it's like, you got to keep paying. So it was actually pretty efficient. You get a PlayStation or an Xbox for Christmas, a couple hundred bucks, reasonable for like, you know, a lower class, like whatever, whatever class we were family. And it's like, oh, we got two or three games for Christmas or I'd get one for my birthday. So like, that's what I did a lot. Um, yeah. So with, with Gears of War, it was, it was a game like you, it was definitely skill-based, but the ranking was a lot of how much time you played. So, <laughs> so there, there was a week that I was ranked the second in the world because I just played a ton. Um, you have to be good though. I mean, you have to like it's not just time it's also like the however many points you're getting during the time that you're playing um but yeah it was just it was playing a lot uh and it was but it was fun and like i, I made a ton of friends also through playing video games online um, and i met a bunch of people from my school like we would play video games together and I'd, I'd make friends with kids at school because i met them playing online with like other friends at school i don't know if you also had that experience but I made a lot of friends in high school that I didn't have classes with or, and I didn't even have lunch with them. Like there was no way to really meet them, but we just met kind of playing video games and maybe we'd have a class two years later and be like, Oh dude, like we play Halo together. We play Call of Duty together. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, I think there's, you can probably say there's, there's related life experiences you can learn from playing video games. Um, I think you have to be careful. Obviously it's, there's, you don't want to spend too much time gaming, but, I think you learn a lot of lessons for sure. It's so interesting how it's become like such a negative thing in cultures. Like don't let your kid play video games, but like, what if like the video games are bigger than pro sports 20 years from now, because it has more affinity. And you mentioned that before, how the, like there are video game pro leagues coming out, but it's like, and people demonize it, but why? Yeah, I think one thing that a lot of people don't realize how hard it is to be good, to be a professional gamer. So traditionally, somebody says, I'm a pro gamer. You'd think, oh, nerd, doesn't do anything, plays video games all day, doesn't, like, not very smart, what, like, whatever the connotation is. But in reality, it does have parallels to being a professional athlete. Obviously, there's different, different things you have to be good at. But being a pro athlete, like, when you think of, LeBron playing basketball, sure, he's an athletic freak, 
but he also can read the court and knows exactly where to be, where his teammates will or should be, where to pass the ball, when to shoot, when to pass, where to position himself. Like if you watch Messi play soccer, you've probably seen the stuff of like Messi has the lowest run percentage of like any player who professional soccer, but he's the best player because he just knows where to stand and position himself. So there's analogies like that with being good at some of the, like being a, a professional like esports player to be really good at some of these games. It's not just about how good you are, like the reactions and reflexes, that's kind of table stakes, but it's also like understanding the map that you're on, the psychology of everyone you're playing against, positioning, like where you are, certain places to influence spawns, like when people are coming back, influencing like how like certain elements of the map might like you being in a certain spot will like cut off the spawns, like where the other team will be respawning. So you're making them always keep respawning in a bad spot of the map where you guys have like height control or, or something like that, or you guys have better um, positioning based on like weapons coming back, things like that. Um, and same thing like with FIFA, it's it's just like with Messi. It's like, how do you position yourself on the field? So um, you definitely learn a lot of, and it's a lot of communication. So also you can be super good individually, but if there's three people working better together than you, like you're, you're going to lose. So there's a lot of parallels with business too, of like understanding how to like have teamwork and work together with people. Um, and then also I think what I realized from when I was getting really into, I never actually was like a professional gamer, but I started going to some of the tournaments. I was like, man, if I work out, if I'm in shape, you know, I'm like healthy, my, my brain's better. My reflexes are better. It's actually healthy. Like you'd be a better gamer from just being healthy. So there's definitely some parallels with that too, with just, you know, like if you, you probably make better business de- decisions or you're a better, better designer, better engineer, cause you're just healthy and like your, your blood vessels are a little bit bigger. So the blood's flowing better and you have more oxygen going to your brain. Like it's kind of, it's kind of counterintuitive, but, uh, I think there's definitely, there's a lot that I got out of it growing up. So wasn't there also a scenario where your friend in college wanted you to join a halo tournament and you thought you could but you showed up and it wasn't as you didn't your performance wasn't as good as you expected oh yeah we got absolutely smoked <laughs> um so yeah the <laughs> i guess the, the the story so uh like i i got really into halo halo 3 in high school um i got if you're familiar with how halo 3 works there's like these playlists that you rank up in and i got the highest level, I got to like level 50 and all the, all the players, except for one lone wolves. Like I'm, I'm not a good individual performer. Usually I could, I could never get past level 47 in lone wolves. People, the Halo three players will know. And no, and it's cause I couldn't do the objective games like oddball king of the hill. I just couldn't do those by myself. I don't know. Um, but the, the one playlist was like the, the MLG major league gaming. That was kind of like the big Halo and I think Call of Duty, they got acquired by Blizzard or Activision or something 10 years ago. I think they're still around. Um, but they had a playlist in Halo. I got to the highest level and I was like, I beat the game. I'm done playing video games. I'm going to college. I'm done with that phase of life. And uh, I'd still play for fun. And just I met, I met a friend on campus who was like, dude, you are so good at Halo. We started playing together. And then it was like, oh, let's go to this. There's like a, a combine, like a professional tournament in Chicago, like 200 teams. I forget the number. And we're like, yeah, sure, let's go. We met a couple of people online. We really didn't have good chemistry. Like in order to, I mean, if, if you're not familiar with how esports works, like these guys practice, like they, they run, they run games like, uh, like scrimmages and they practice against with other teams. Very serious. Like they have a coach. Like if you're not familiar with how esports work, there's usually a coach in the background telling you like hey watch this guy he's always doing this thing or like certain things happening over here like that's how seriously some of these people take it and we were we just kind of showed up and we just got smoked absolutely creamed um and so that's when i decided it's like i'm never gonna be a pro gamer like maybe i'm in the top 0.1 percent of people oh, wow. but i'm not in the point top 0.01 percent so this isn't gonna be a thing and it was maybe too early like twitch wasn't around there, there really weren't ways to make money in in pro gaming there still really aren't very many good ways um but yeah so that's kind of how the whole <laughs> going to the tournaments like it was a lot of fun i really enjoyed it um uh, but i'm too old now i mean i suck at video games now <laughs> i don't i haven't really played video games seriously in like 10 12 years at this point well it's crazy because the content creation and the business is a form of video game in some respect what 
are the biggest similarities? Yeah, I guess just understanding uh, what drives performance of something or like being able to sit back and really digest things, take information, come up with a strategy and then teamwork to uh, doing research. Like, again, it sounds pretty crazy to say this, but with the way that a lot of esports works is like they'll go back and they'll watch their film just like athletes and they'll be like, man, I should have gone left there instead of going right. Or like I saw that thing out of the corner of my eye. And I, it, I didn't process it at, at the time, but looking back, going the, through the film, I was like, man, that guy was right there. I should have done that. And so you can kind of, you definitely learned, you learn a lot going through and like rewatching. So I think there's, um, there's like parallels with just like going through, uh, like the ropes, going through the motions, doing research. Um, it's, it's a lot different. Um, but there's definitely parallels, like, like the score, like what's in business, what, what's the high score? What are you, what are you going for? Is it, are you trying to get to a certain size? You're trying to serve a certain number of customers. You're trying to make a certain amount of money. Are you trying to help a certain number of people? Like there's kind of always a, a score that's tangible or intangible that you're always kind of going for. Um, and it, it does make it fun too. Like that's maybe what makes gaming so much fun is that the tangible result that you're trying to get to or completing certain levels. It's like the same thing. Like I'm sure with your podcast, you have a goal. Like I want to get X number of listens or whatever the number is but then once you get it it's like there's another one that you go for so it's kind of like everything's a game life is really a game that everyone's kind of playing and trying to figure out and maybe some people are taking it more seriously than others or maybe people have different views on the game some people are playing halo 2 and then other people are playing halo 3 like they're coming out with like a whole new level that they're on than everyone else and everyone else kind of adjusts so um not a perfect parallel but there's definitely like some some tangible lessons and and parallels yeah and then some people get mad that person's playing halo 3 i'm playing halo 2 halo 2 is better it's so fascinating how we get upset at other people for how they're navigating through the world yeah but sometimes it's just because we don't have the context of the game they're actually playing when you look back at uh the venture capital fantasy league that you created it does that stem from the video game background? Maybe. Potentially? Yeah. The, it, I mean, I didn't come up with it. So I had done, if you're, if you're into like public stocks, you can run like a fake paper portfolio. There's websites where you can have a fake million bucks, fake invest. And that's actually how I got into investing. So I never had any money growing up. Like I think, at one point I had like a thousand dollars in my brokerage account and I lent it to my mom to use for something that was like the most I ever had. Like I never had any money. So I'd like make these paper fake portfolios and lost a ton of money. Like that's how I first got, it was probably so good that that's how I started because I had no idea what I was doing. And it's basically, you're like, oh, that company seems cool. I'll buy, I'll buy the, the fake stock in this like simulation game. It's like, wow, the stock's down 40%. What did I mess up? And like that's kind of how I learned investing. Like, what well, was that? What like, age? In, like in college. Like, in I'm college. taking some classes, and I think I'm glad that I didn't actually have real money that I was losing because, like, that would have been really, really, really bad. Um, but it was good to just have like, a fake portfolio. So I think I was pretty familiar with just how it worked. And um, there's a guy, um, Jonathan Triest. He's a, a uh, one of the founders of a fund called Ludlow Ventures. They're based in Detroit. So I'm, I'm in Michigan also, was in Grand Rapids and I live in Ann Arbor. Um, so I, I was kind of following, I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. VC in, in Michigan. I didn't know you could do that. Um, but his, he, he had a pinned tweet on his Twitter profile. I don't know if it's still there. I haven't looked at his profile in, I don't know, maybe like within the last couple of months, maybe I've seen it, but I don't know if it's still there. Um, but it was like, Hey, it's really hard to get into venture. I know it's a fun thing to, to do. Like it's, it's hard. Here's what I would do. I would basically create a fake portfolio and like fake investments of startups. It's like, oh yeah, I've done that before. Yeah, that's what I'll do. That's how fine because I I'd been kind of thinking about VC as kind of this intersection of all the things I was interested in. And I didn't have any money. Like traditionally the advice if you're getting into VC is like, oh just angel invest. Like, you know, just take a hundred K and just invest in some startups. It's like, yeah, that's like the that's a, the the total cumulative salary of my entire career. <laughs> Like, I don't have a hundred grand. Like, that's a lot of money. Uh, 
so I kind of came up with this idea. Like I just like like hacked it together. I was like, oh, I have a fake. I I came. I think I did ten million originally, and I realized how unrealistic that was to have. Like basically, my portfolio made no sense. Like the very first one I did, it was so bad. But I learned. I got into it and started learning just from it's like fake fantasy portfolio. If you're if you're not familiar, it's kind of like fantasy football but for startup investing you're like making fake investments obviously fantasy football maybe there's real money involved or whatever but like you have a fake team of players it was the same thing it was like a fake portfolio of startups um again no idea what i was doing it was basically things i'd come across like one of them in the portfolio it's a company called superhuman it's like a really fancy luxury email client that you pay 30 bucks a month for it's totally worth it. Like, I think it's, it's a great investment to use like personally as a tool. And I was like, oh, this is a cool idea. So like, I kind of would write a memo on each one. But again, no idea what I was doing and really didn't know how the companies were doing either. I was like basically listening to YouTube interviews, would go on Reddit or like Google, go on the founder's Twitter, like read TechCrunch articles or whatever people had published on these companies and like write a memo. Again, no, no professional training, didn't really know what I was doing and probably and didn't have like really access to any data on anything. And, you know, maybe the companies had like gone under or they were going to fail like a month later, but I was still investing because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the, the hack I used to get in. And, and then it basically created like a, a fake track record that eventually I started getting some interviews and I had VCs like, oh, I guess. I guess this kid's kind of serious. Maybe he'd be good. Some I've heard of some of these companies before. I think what actually impressed people was there's some companies in there that they'd never heard of. So that's typically been my style as an investor is I just try to find stuff other people aren't really paying attention to because I think that's the point of being a venture capitalist. Like you're trying to find the things that no one knows are a big deal yet. Like imagine if you invested in open AI in the, the seed round or whatever, like you're sitting pretty good. Investing in open AI now, maybe it's a good investment, but it's pretty consensus. So you're probably not going to make as much money if you invested earlier when no one cared. So that that's really the point of VC is getting in super early on things that are that will be inevitable. So maybe they work or maybe they don't work yet. Ideally, it's they work, they're crushing it, but no one knows. That's the best um, because there's a little bit more certainty. Uh, but also just getting in early, finding stuff before other people. That's kind of the point of being a good, a good early stage investor. So that's kind of, I kind of tried to do that with the fantasy portfolio. And I think it, I don't know, I, I always recommend it to people. It's not easy. Like it's more accessible though, because most people don't have just a bunch of money sitting around and you can, you can build an angel portfolio with maybe 10 grand. Like you can invest like a thousand bucks in each company. That's still a lot of money for some people. Um, and also sometimes it's hard to get access. Like the best companies, if you're, no one knows you exist, the founder, if he's doing really, or if she's doing really well, everyone's hitting them up. If you got a thousand dollar check, no, like they've never heard of you, just can delete the email. So it's a pretty uh, approachable, accessible way. They just kind of build a track record. It's, it's not really like a get into it quick kind of thing. I think with venture, like you really have to just play by the rules. Like you, you kind of got to it's, it's a long game. There's not really any shortcuts. And maybe we saw some shortcuts happening over the last couple of years. And obviously people probably wish that they didn't take the shortcuts and they played the longer game. So how do you, okay. So practically speaking, how does one go ahead and create that fantasy profile of these companies? And then how long until people noticed that you had been doing good work just to give people a realistic time frame for putting in the work for then getting that work recognized. Yeah. So I guess going back to the the Snapchat stuff. So when I first started writing online, it, it was mostly, I just picked kind of one topic. And I think this is usually the advice most people will give is pick something that you are some, some combination of knowledgeable, passionate, undercovered, like you're, you're knowledgeable about it. You're passionate about it. It's not, there's not a lot of competition in that category and just, you know, go hard on it, be committed, keep going. And then eventually you kind of branch out. So initially I just tweeted a lot about snap. Like I was like always following other stuff, but I was like, oh, I probably know. And like, so I met a bunch of people who worked at Snapchat and were like, dude, you like know more about this company than we do. Wow. Like, so, and I may be exaggerating there a little bit, but 
uh, I just, I kind of, people knew, it was like, oh, this guy really understands this company, this space. Uh, and then it was August of, it was like August 2nd, 2018, um, Musical.ly rebranded as TikTok. And I was like, Musical.ly, I think I've heard of that before. What's this company, ByteDance, that owns them? And I was like, holy cow, this is like this big, this is like the Chinese Facebook acquired this app that seems to kind of not be doing that well. But I downloaded and started using it. And I was like, holy cow, this is like the best product I've ever used. This is so good. Like, I don't know why nobody's talking about this. And so I started tweeting about that too. And I just kind of picked some topics where like I felt pretty confident that I was going to eventually be directionally correct and would just kind of continue to talk about it. And I just kind of added some other things. Um, like I, <laughs> this is kind of funny to think about. I've always been pretty bullish on WeWork. No opinion on the stock, if you should invest, but it's a great product. Like yeah. if you're an entrepreneur starting a company, it's an amazing experience. Dude, I tell people this all the time. I used it for the first time in the last two years and I was like, oh my God. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, I don't know anything about what is happening financially, but I just know that I enjoy this experience yeah. a lot. Yeah. It's, it's a great product. And I've never wanted to invest in like, I've never, like, I think it's publicly, I think they SPAC and it's down 98% or something. I, I forget the number, but I, it's probably the wrong number, but like, it's a terrible investment, but it's a really good product. So like, I kind of picked some things that I thought were, you know, not consensus and just started talking about them. I don't think I ever was like, you should buy stock in WeWork, but I'm like, man, this product is so good. It should exist. Coworking is actually like pretty interesting in like the commercial real estate landscape. Uh, and I just kind of slowly started to talk about things and write about things that I just kind of felt were kind of undercovered or like, I'm assuming if you started talking about AI a couple of years ago, you probably look pretty smart right now. And like you, and you were able to talk about how it was going to impact the world, different sectors, different businesses and categories. Um, so that's usually what I recommend to people is kind of pick something and pick some things that you think you can have a pretty strong and directionally correct point of view on. Uh, and then with the fantasy portfolio, so with how people found it, I think because I'd been kind of tweeting about some other things, you know, I had a couple hundred people that followed me that weren't friends from high school. And then I, when I did this fantasy thing, people were like, I've never seen that before. That's kind of cool. And actually the founder of one of the companies in there found it. He quote retweeted it on Twitter and said, this is the best analysis my company I've ever seen. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool. I have no idea what I was doing. And also a little bit scary that no other investor had done this before. Um, so, but yeah. And so that kind of helped get quite a bit of visibility on it. I don't remember. I had like a couple hundred likes. I don't remember how many views it got. Views weren't public on Twitter then, but it was probably like tens of thousands or something. Um, so I met some people that way, like different VCs. And I was always just reaching out to people. Um, people were reaching out to me slowly getting interviews, stuff like that. And then it was a very long process, but eventually finally made the jump into VC. So, but before then, before you made the jump into VC, you've been trying to get into VC for a long time, right? Yeah. It probably took me about two years from the time I decided, I think this is what I want to do forever to actually getting in the door. And I just wow. didn't have the right background. I mean, if I would have gone to, if I'd have gone to Stanford or like a school someone's heard of, I went to a school called Grand Valley State University in West Michigan. We're a D2 sports school. We're, I think it's like 30,000 students, something like that. Uh, but we dominate D2 sports. So we're probably one of the, like most of the other schools that do D2 sports, like a couple thousand kids. We have like 30,000, 40,000. Uh, our football team, right before I went there, we just won like every national championship for like a couple of years. Um, so that's like the school I went to. It was just like a state school. It was the biggest one in West Michigan. No one's heard of it. And even the companies I worked at in West Michigan, they weren't like tech companies. They weren't even, it wasn't even like it was Goldman Sachs. It was a, it was a community bank. It was called Mercantile Bank of Michigan. We worked with a lot of local West Michigan businesses, manufacturing companies, real estate developers, restaurant, grocery stores. Um, so I just never had relevant experience. I worked for the endowment of a nonprofit in Grand Rapids called the Van Andel Institute. They do cancer and Parkinson's research. Uh, and my team basically invested the endowment. I was a low man on the totem pole. Took all the notes, made spreadsheets, stuff like that. Um, 
And so I just never had the right background. Like if you were a VC and you read my cold email or my application, you didn't read the whole thing. You started and you're like, yeah, delete. Give me the Stanford kid or give me the duties, the PM at Uber. Like, and there's 20 of those people that are all applying. So I'm just like, I don't even get the time of day. So uh, it definitely took a while to to really build out stuff. But I knew like, okay, if I just do things a little bit differently and put in the right kind of work, like I actually think that I could be pretty good at this. And I'm also doing it a little bit differently because I'm, maybe this was lucky timing with COVID coming up a year or two later. I was basically using the internet, not all the in-person stuff. So when COVID hit, every every VC was like, we're, we're trying to figure out how to invest over Zoom. And I was like, oh yeah, I've like never met any of the founders. I had met a couple of the founders I had invested. It was like, oh yeah, I invest over Zoom all the time. So uh, it was lucky timing, definitely on that front. And so do you, do you hold any resentment towards the, the rejections that you got? Or does, is that a chip on your shoulder for doing better work? Uh, I mean, maybe, maybe chip on my shoulder, but it's not really any resentment. I mean, I would have done the same thing if I was in their shoes, right? Like there's someone actually gave me this advice. One of my LPs, he was like, you should be focused on finding the next Turner, like find people that were in your position and that's the best time to bet on people. So I think it actually gave me a lot of things to think about in terms of like, okay, how do I find people who are on a similar trajectory? Whether it's like a founder of a company, someone who could work at one of my companies that I've invested in, like an engineer, designer, whatever, another content creator. So, I mean, I I love like listening to podcasts, reading newsletters, because that's where you find the best stuff, right? Like if you go and read um, uh, money stuff, Matt, I don't even know his last name. I don't, I don't read it. I don't like, I don't pay attention to it. Like the big, the Bloomberg guy. That I'm, I'm people are probably going to make fun of me because I don't remember his last name. It's okay, I, I don't. I don't yeah, I don't. I don't really follow that stuff. I try to find the people that are like the guy who the guy who originally wrote about Silicon Valley Bank, um, Byron Holbert, I think is how you pronounce his name. I've never talked to him, but I follow him on Twitter. Always like kind of follow his stuff, and I remember seeing the SVB thing a couple months ago. And I was like, holy cow, that's huge. Why does no one care? I guess it's not a big deal. Um, but like those are the people that are actually putting out interesting things. So, and like, that's where like the alpha quote unquote is, whether it's in starting a business, whether it's like you're investing, whether it's like understanding new growth channels, like it's always, it's typically the people that no one else is paying attention to. Like those are the ones that are, you get the most interesting stuff from. Like think about all these companies. Um, like I'm, I'm trying to think of examples of companies that maybe we've all heard of, um, like Google or whatever, Stripe, Facebook, like obviously people had really interesting insights way back in the day. Um, but they, there weren't really a whole lot of like, uh, public proof points to say like, Oh, this guy was the second employee at Stripe. And then he was the co-founder of a company that sold to Google for $8 billion. And now he's starting a new company. That's pretty, a pretty obvious bet if you're a VC, right? Um, so it's kind of like trying to find people that, you know, you, you can read their stuff and be like, Oh wow, this is, this guy's super smart or she's super, knowledgeable but then you're like oh wow why is no one paying attention to her or why does nobody why does nobody care about what he or she is doing or like why why are they having trouble raising for their start like why is nobody else in this yet mm. um so you're kind of finding things that you you kind of just go to this like in terms of investing in a startup so when i'm doing diligence it's just like talking to the founder getting to know them understanding like there's a, a really good post from a vc called mark suster he it's called investing in lines not dots so if you go and talk to a VC and it's just the first time you've ever met them before, they see a dot of where you are in, in life, whether like is a person, your company, whatever. And then if you get to know them over the course of time, they're like, oh, look at this trajectory of, of dots that we're connecting where they're on. So what I kind of try to do is think about, okay, I get, I see this dot. Like I try to piece together the previous dots and you, you kind of try to find people's trajectory and you maybe there's no public proof points for other people with the dots, but you kind of try to find them or try to pull them out of them and figure out what their trajectories are. Cause there's a lot of cases where it's just a flat dot. It'll never change, but there are a lot of some cases where maybe they were just in the very, very beginning. And like that, 
that dot was like, you know, you look back five years and it's like a vertical line that went straight up or it was like a slow, steady, but very significant like curve that went up. So generally that's kind of how I think about whether it's finding content creators, whether it's finding uh, like startups to invest in, people like to hire on the team. Um, like Olivia on my team is awesome. Uh, she has been super important, like super uh, transformational and just like helping me source more founders, like in front of people and gives a different opinion. And we have, we agree in a lot of things. We also disagree on things, but in a good way, like in a healthy way. Um, and we, I think it's helped us, it's helped me as an investor make better decisions. So yeah, kind of finding, um, people as early as possible. is kind of the whole thing. That's my whole job. So what are the common traits you find in some of the people that you want to invest in early on? Yeah. So it's probably like being, being insightful, being pretty smart. I think it's like a, a baseline. You have to, there's a certain level of intelligence or like, you know, sharpness. I don't know if that's a good, good way to think about it. Um, also I think resiliency and grit is pretty important because if you're starting a company, if you're starting anything, it's probably not going to be successful right away. Kind of just got to grind at it for a long time. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. You're nodding. Uh, so I think being able to find proof points of some of those things is pretty important. Those are probably some of the big things. And then just in terms of investing in companies, it's like a market that I really like. Like I was, we made one very small web 2.5, I guess I would call it investment, but completely stayed away from crypto because I just didn't like the market. It just, it didn't make sense to me. I didn't understand why a lot of things people were saying didn't quite match up for me. And I thought maybe the timing was off. So market's really important too. Like, what are they building? Like, I think uh, some, like a, like kind of a meme that I agree with is healthcare, health tech is in the same spot as fintech was 10 years ago, where healthcare's super broken, 20% of GDP. It's basically a scam. Like it's the, the outcomes that we get are not very good. Uh, so it's like, okay, can we fix that? There's a lot of opportunities there. Um, so it's like an interesting space that we're kind of trying to understand better, whether it's the hospital system, whether it's nutrition or whether it's like fitness related, stuff like that. So market's also pretty important. Uh, and then also just like the here and now, does it actually work in terms of the product? Like the, the core metrics, it's like, yeah, you're trying to be a publicly traded company, but no one's using it today. That's not going to work. You have to fix some stuff. Like you have to fix, change the product. Um, so there's, there's generally times where it's like, wow, these numbers are really good. Like one of the investments we made, like it wasn't very big yet, but people really loved the product. And and kind of my my cheat code with being a consumer focused investor is I live in Michigan, normal people all around me. It's not tech people, it's not celebrities, it's not finance people. It's just normal, the average American. So you can kind of think about, cool, this works in LA, does it work in Kansas City? Does it work in Detroit, Ann Arbor, Grand Rapids? That's where in terms of um, as an investor, like that's how you really start to think about how does the company continue to grow and acquire more users and get larger and more customers. So it's kind of like a cheat code of like, oh, what does my wife think? What does my mother-in-law think? Like, what do all the people around me think? And you can kind of understand how they think about things. So it kind of helps escape the bubble of, you know, cool, my best friend who's a also a founder of a crypto startup thinks that this NFT thing is a good idea. Yeah, there's there's maybe some uh, some bias there, or um, so that that goes into it. Um, yeah, so I'd say it's like the current product, the market, and then in terms of like other things, like about the founder, it's like grit, intelligence, how sharp they are. Um, I think dedication, seriousness. So I kind of tell people I'm I don't take myself very seriously, but I'm a pretty serious person. So that also you know, you, you want people who are like really serious with what they do. Like it's a craft it, in terms of investing in a startup, they're trying to build a publicly traded company. That's not just a side thing. Like, it's not like a, yeah, I think I might mess around and start a company. It's like, no, you have to be pretty dedicated and all in and probably like 80 hours a week at a minimum. 
but you're thinking and you're thinking about it 120 hours a week like when you're not even you're dreaming about it maybe you're thinking about 168 hours a week you're dreaming about what you're like the startup so you find people that are really just dedicated and it doesn't net like there's a lot of vcs there there um there's things like we want missionaries like it's people it's like their life's work i think sometimes that that's important but it's not always it doesn't have to be the case it can definitely help like if you're making like a checklist like a scorecard like checking all these boxes it's definitely a box, but it doesn't have to be checked necessarily. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the the thought process I go through. I like Paul Graham's shower test thought, which is like, mm-hmm. what do you think about what's top of mind when you're taking a shower as a good test for what you think is most impactful or what the project you actually should be working on. And the probably the founders that you hope to be investing in are probably thinking about their thing in the shower. If not, that's probably a sign that you're investing in the wrong person. Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> um, talk to me about how your thinking on investing has invo- evolved over the past couple of years. Yeah, it's a good question. I initially, I would get really excited about an idea or a market or a concept, and that's why I would invest, not because of the founder. So I think the founder is the most important thing because they're the one that's doing everything. They can have a great idea. It can be a great market, a great concept. And in my head, I'm like, oh, here's all the ways it can work. But if the if the team doesn't execute on it, nothing's going to happen. So initially I was like, oh, the market's the only thing that matters. And there's, there's a, a bunch of like VC-isms, like sayings where it's like a bad team, but a really good market, like that will lift the team. And there's other things like a good like a great team in a bad market that will just crush the team like there's you can't overcome a bad market i mean really it's like great team great market like if you think about like a like one of those quadrant things like the four quadrants you want really good team really good market um so i used to think the team didn't matter and i think they're just wrong just that was not like it's very important because like those are the people that are doing the day-to-day is the team um so i still really think about the markets that i want to get exposure to and invest in and that's like there'll be times where i have not invested in someone's company that i would say i'm friends with because i just didn't like the market i don't know if that's right or wrong but that's yeah i i I like to invest when i'm actually excited about what they're also doing too because then you can if you're innately curious and you're also kind of passionate about it you can actually be I don't want to say like a value add investor. If you follow a lot of VC stuff, they're all about how they like roll up their sleeves, add all this value to their companies. Honestly, I don't have any anything unique that I bring to the table, but if you're really interested in what they're doing, it's the same thing like the shower thing. It's like, oh, they should totally do this. Or like, oh, that one guy that I met would totally like to work with her. Like they would go so well together. Like I'm going to, I'm going to see if she wants to chat with them. And I probably wouldn't think about that if I just wasn't interested in what they were doing and didn't care. So um, I think it's really good team, really good market. That's kind of how it shifted. It's just like really the, the team has to be there. Um, and then I have to be really interested in it too and passionate. I think there's a couple times where it's like, oh, I don't care about this, but like on paper, it makes sense. It's definitely changed over time. Like, oh, I need to be passionate about it also. Wow, that's fascinating. And then from the crypto perspective, you said you never really understood all the hype with crypto. Why didn't you understand it and what is wrong with crypto? Oh man, you're going to get me canceled. <laughs> uh, so I understood it, but I, so yeah, I, the way I would explain it is I, I understood it and I just didn't, I didn't get it. So I think the thesis. You just said I understood it, but I didn't get it. <laughs> Unpack that for me. <laughs> okay. So I think the reason that crypto happened was it's a lot of so a lot of investing is like inflow outflow so like how much money's coming in that will increase the prices when there's money coming out the prices go down like the valuations or the price of a stock is all supply and demand there are other things that influence that but if more people want to buy a stock the price will go up if people are selling a stock and getting out the price will go down so i think with crypto if you come and say hey, anything, you can own a piece of it. And the opportunity set for this, the market size is the economy, 
like GDP, tens of, of trillions of dollars, I think you get pretty sloppy almost. And I think there's a lot of external factors. Like I don't think crypto would have been as big if it was, as it was if we didn't have low interest rates. Like it just wouldn't have happened. Um, and then I think also it's, it's a kind of complicated. So it's pretty easy to, like you've probably seen the memes like enjoy being poor, or like have fun being poor, whatever they said. Um, and you see the prices go up. Like the, everything just kept going up. So like crypto is obviously the future. Like why not? Like you, if you don't, you don't get it. It's cool. But enjoy, enjoy staying poor. Um, so uh, I think that was part of, and like it didn't really actually do anything. Like there's, there's, I think there's a case to be made of. Um, I like Chris Dixon's framing. This is actually the only reason I have not completely given up on crypto because he has some pretty good cases of like, hey, you can use this to jumpstart a new network by incentivizing people to participate by rewarding them for like participating in the network or the marketplace. And actually, yeah, that does make sense. I, I, I guess I could see that. But I also think then it twists the incentives of why people are participating on the network or the marketplace. So like Uber, you use it because it, and in the initial days, you used it because it gave you a really good value as a consumer or you made money as a driver. Did you necessarily need to be getting free like tokens or value in the, the of the network as a whole necessarily to participate? Probably not. So it makes the VCs like to use this word called product market fit that just shows how much customers actually want the product. Basically, if you have product market fit, you have a real business case. Like this can be a real thing. That's basically the transition from startup, we're hacking in an idea, you hit product market fit and that's like, oh, this is a business. This is a company now. Um, so I think it kind of, I think the giving out free money to people twisted some of the incentives of truly finding product market fit. And it made made it hard to, to know were people actually using this because it solved a problem for them. So I think, I think some of the use cases that we got from crypto was like entertainment or speculation. And it was, it was fun making money. Like that is why people used it. There was, I think there's also some value in uh, low cost transactions. So there's like, instead of paying fees to banks, like an international transfer to from Colombia or Ecuador to the US dollar, using crypto rails sometimes can actually give you a lower cost basis. So there's some real use cases there in some markets. Um, but when you say, is that market size worth $3 trillion? Probably not. I'll give you, I'll give you a couple hundred billion, but it's now worth 3 trillion. So, um, yeah, just we, it was kind of always the, the kind of the, uh, I guess like thought or the, the process of thinking through everything was just, I just don't really know if, it, if this is actually solving any problems really right now. It's the scale of what people think and like it is actually easier to use on some of the existing products or is it giving people a better experience? Is it doing something at a lower cost? Like some of those cases were maybe true in like one-off scenarios and like certain, like I think the, the international transaction I think makes total sense. Um, and I think sometimes the whole uh, like DeFi, basically like decentralized finance, there's no bank because it's all individual level and like everyone's collateralized appropriately. I think sometimes that kind of stuff can make sense. But then also that's a little bit confusing what I just said. I have no idea what you just said. So then I come back to, I don't know enough about this. There's tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that think about this 16 hours a day because it's crypto, right? It's web three. I have no edge. Yeah. So I'm just not really going to try to compete with those people because they know more than me. And I'm glad, I'm kind of glad that we didn't make a bunch of investments. I'm, we're still like paying attention to it. And we'll, over the next 10 years, I will probably make at least one investment there. Uh, but we're, we just try to make sure we really understand what we're investing in. And, um, when you think about like the, what's the current entry point, current valuation, what does the outcome potentially look like? What does the competitive landscape look like? What is our insights that we have? Like, do we have any edge on the market? Um, so one of the companies I invested in, uh, it was basically a way to process food stamps and EBT, pay EBT payments online, which just didn't exist. And 
I had been following the online grocery delivery space, like the 15 minute grocery delivery companies. I invested in one of those. It's the one that's still alive. I think they've all, they've all collapsed, but I had this thesis that I thought that was an interesting entry point to build an e-commerce company was hyper fast grocery delivery. Cause you could add other categories. You could add, you go from groceries to healthcare, pharmacy, electronics, you know, any, anything you get from the grocery store as subscription instead of 15 minute delivery, it's two hour or a day. You just become Amazon. I'm skipping a lot of steps, but it's like, yeah, that's an interesting way to build a new e-commerce company. So I'd been meeting a lot of people. And then I met these guys that were basically saying, oh yeah, uh, like one fifth of Americans get their food from like they use food stamps to pay for their food and there's no way to pay for it online. So I was like, oh, that makes total sense. And I know a bunch of, I know a bunch about the space. I've met a bunch of founders. I can try to connect you to a bunch of people. So that's where I did actually have an edge of most people have been kind of making fun of the 15 minute grocery delivery space, but I was actually taking it pretty seriously. And I actually probably like the only reason I was able to make that investment was because I'd been following kind of an adjacent market that I was able to, it's, it's the same market, but like I'd been kind of following it and I was probably one of the only people that was actually taking it pretty seriously because everyone else was like, oh, the margins are low, um, super capital intensive. Why don't you just invest in crypto? It just keeps going up. Like, why why would you invest in this like grocery thing? People are going to stop ordering food or ordering their groceries online when COVID's over, which is kind of correct. It's more of it's like flatlined. It doesn't like come down too much. It's more of gone flat, which is bad if you're a startup. You want to be in a growing market. Um, so yeah, that's it. It's kind of like I, I try to look for places where I just have a different view and maybe that'll allow us to kind of outperform or get like there's less competition for investors. So we get a better valuation or we're able to invest more because there's less people competing. And I think it's just more fun to like make bets or to like invest in stuff. I hate the word making bets. I, I don't like when investors say that when it's VC because you're investing and you're not making a bet. Like, what do you mean? You're not gambling. Like you're, you're investing and you're like there for the founder. Like it's not like a, here's some money, see in 10 years. Like I, I hope it works. It's like, no, I've been like thinking about this for a year or I've been talking to, we've met a couple times over the course of a week. We have a good, we have a relationship with each other. It's not like gambling or a bet for me. It's I'm investing. Like I'm giving you my full support, like money, whatever else I can provide. Uh, so generally I like to find the things where I can like truly, and that's where it comes down to like actually being passionate and interested in what you're investing in because it's like, Hey, like there, like during the SVB crisis, one of my founders is working on raising a series A while all that was going on. We talked for an hour about his series A that he's going to try to raise in a, a couple months. And it was like, I had other stuff going on, but I was still really excited to talk to him about what he was doing. So it's like, you're able to just naturally just go above and beyond when you're actually interested in what you're doing and actually passionate about it. I'd like to end these podcasts with a challenge. A challenge points to the place in your heart you think someone should take this conversation and actually do something in their own life. Does a challenge come to mind from everything we spoke about or something we haven't? Yeah, I guess if you, if there's something that you really want to do, that you're really passionate about and interested in, uh, f figure out how to, like, how to make it happen. And maybe you do like a fake it till you make it type of thing like I did. Um, but I would just be careful of fake it till you make it is almost a dangerous phrase because you want there to be fake fake is not a good word but the fake fake it till you make it is a good one. so it's almost like something that you are actually really good about good at and really passionate about that's the word i would use instead of fake it but just do it until you make it so just like figure out a way to expose yourself or throw yourself into whatever you're trying to do and just go out there and and slowly start laying the groundwork to make it happen. So like with a startup, like what, what you might see is people like, oh, we're raising money and then we're going to start building this product. It's like, oh, try to start building the product and making it happen. And then the capital will come to you. Like you'll attract money. So it might actually make it easier if you just go out and start doing it. Um, which I know is pretty common advice. You watch like Gary Vee. He's like, oh, get off your mom's couch. Like screw your parents, go do what you want to do. It's like, oh, you know, I wouldn't phrase it that way, but I would just say like, Hey, whatever you want in the world, like you have to go make it happen. People are not going to hand you things. Um, and if you find things, you can lay the the groundwork and the proof points. Like eventually people will really buy into what you're doing and it's going to be a grind. It's going to be a long journey, 
Um, people see Elon Musk and Tesla and like, oh, SpaceX, te- Tesla, boring company, whatever he's doing. It's not like he was just randomly building cars. It's like it took him, it took Tesla 20 years to longer than that to get the, to where they are. So it's just, you got to be really committed and, and just go out there and start doing it and put in the work. Love that. At Turner Novak on Twitter, funny ass account. I appreciate you so much. <laughs> Banana Capital. And anywhere else we should send people to connect with you further? Uh, if you like TikTok, I make TikToks. Yeah. Mostly VC startup related stuff. Same thing, just my name. Chamath likes those TikToks too. Yeah, Chamath loves my TikToks. I've made a couple about Chamath. And that's the thing. It's like I make a joke about him, but it's also, he loves it. It's funny. Yeah. Um, and then I have a newsletter. It's called The Split. It's a play on bananas, banana split. Um, if you just search, if you go to my Twitter, you'll find it, The Split. Um, the website is The Split, but it's .it www.thespull.it, the split. Um, and it's just startup, tech, consumer, e-commerce, healthcare-ish, fintech-ish. It's just like interesting stuff. If you're building, if you're a founder building a startup in some of those spaces, it might be interesting to you. Cool. All linked below. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me.